welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain a leadership advantage as Ralph Moore's wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today we're going to talk about the characteristics of a multiplying church, or actually a multiplying leader, because you can't much have a multiplying church without a multiplying leader. And we're going to look at them in kind of this light, a one overriding disciple-making objective to the whole church and what we're about, seven non-negotiables that are core principles that would attach themselves to anybody who's trying to multiply churches, or actually anybody who's pastoring a church, and then ten negotiables. So let's dive into this thing. The one single overriding objective of the whole church is to make disciples. It's the last thing that Jesus said for us to do. It's the one thing that it seems to be a command other than loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself. And it's the one thing that many of us just overlook. I've talked to so many pastors, especially of larger churches. And I get into the thing about making disciples and they say stuff like, well, I'm really busy and I got a lot of managing to do and I got to make a sermon every week and it takes a lot of time. And so I delegate that. I just don't understand anywhere that you could delegate loving God or delegate loving your neighbor as yourself to somebody else. Nor do I see the possibility of delegating the core issue of making disciples to somebody else. You know, I've always tried to have at least three disciples in my life. And then one day I woke up and realized that I need to be discipling my staff. If I don't disciple the people who are making the church operate, well, then where are we going to go? And how are we going to go there in the same direction? And so I've, I've learned that I must begin to make disciples with those closest to me and then kind of work outwards from there. In fact, the last church that I pastored, I made it a goal. It was something I worked toward to shoot for 85% of my time would be spent one way or another making disciples of other people. And then through those disciples reach the church and through the church reach the world. Next, we move into seven of what I call non-negotiable core pillars of the church. These are just seven things that keep us going, keep us doing what the Lord has asked us to do. The first is that our major distinctive in terms of everything that we do is that Jesus is central to the whole deal. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. I find myself quite often getting enraptured with the stuff that I learn, with strategy, with, you know, books that I read, the things that I think about. And every so often I just kind of have to whack myself the side of the head and go, hey, this is all about Jesus and intentionally focus on how do I bring Jesus into everything that I say, everything that I do. If we're doing some kind of a marketing piece, it's not about the church. It's about Jesus. And the one thing that we're going to all agree on is that Jesus is the Lord. The second is that our mission is making disciples who make disciples, not just making disciples. You know, I have some friends that run some different kind of disciple-making organizations, but they tend to go one generation deep, or if they do make disciples who make disciples, they don't multiply churches. And so I want to always be challenging everybody that we think of uh, what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, that I'm taking the things that I've learned of the Lord, 
I'm passing them on to a first generation disciple who's able to pass them on to other disciples who are able to pass them on to others also. You know, as this thing expands itself into the world of church planting and church multiplication, I don't know most of the pastors of the churches that have carried our name. You know, I know that first generation and usually I know the second generation. But if I've done my job, I've built trust and I've built vision, I've built values into my disciples and they're going to pass that on to their disciples. And so I'm able to trust people four generations away from me because we're making disciples who make disciples. So our distinctive is that Jesus is the Lord. Our mission is actually discipling in a way that disciples make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. The power behind this whole thing is the Holy Spirit. You know, I was with some people just yesterday and they were talking about some real big issues in their life, some real trials that they're going through. And right off, I start to put on the Ralph Moore counseling hat and I'm going to straighten them all around and everything. And then they start talking to me about a dream that they had and how it drove them into the scripture and how in the scripture the Holy Spirit seemed to be saying this thing and it unlocked their problem that they had. And I begin to realize it's not about me. It's not about the church. It's not about our strategies. It's about Jesus working through his spirit in the lives of individuals. And it just makes me wish that I was a little simpler Christian, that I was one who maybe was the Christian that I was when I was 16 years old and I was desperate and I was so hungry for the things of the spirit. And that hunger, keeping that alive, is really central to everything that we're going to do if we're going to do it with power and if it's going to go beyond our human ability to get things done. And of course, our guide is the scripture. As I've pastored, I early on decided that I was going to be all about the Bible, that the church that I would pastor would be built around scripture. And so all of our disciple-making efforts, everything that we do is built around just a kind of a chapter by chapter we're working our way through the scripture if we were in john chapter four last week we're in john chapter five this week and you know you can make that dead and dry and dull and expository and deep but if you make it fun and alive and 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 you bring application to everyday life that's going on right now people get thrilled with the bible and then you find ways in terms of building disciple making tools to wrap those tools around what you're doing in the scripture. One thing that we've done to hold the whole church together is in the microchurches within our church, the small group network, if you would, within the church, we come together around food. We spend a little time just trying to remember what the weekend teaching was all about. And and notice I said teaching, not sermon. As we get into that teaching, we're not there to do an intellectual thing. It's not a, what does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? But what is the Spirit of the Lord trying to say to me through this passage of Scripture? And so we always ask these three questions. Everything that we do is built around these three questions. It's what's built what's called Hope Chapel. It's what's helped raise ordinary believers into leaders who become, you know, the heads of uh, microchurches and then go on and plant churches elsewhere. And the questions are, what did the Holy Spirit say to you while the pastor was talking? Not what did the pastor say, but what did the Holy Spirit say through the pastor? Or what did the Holy Spirit say because you were daydreaming while the pastor was talking? But what is the Spirit of God saying to you? Second question is, what are you going to do about that? You know, there's an accountability before God. There's an accountability before man. And once we get you to verbalize a commitment, I'm going to do this, 
then you know it's on the table and your life is on the table and then the third question is how can we come alongside and help and one thing that we've seen that this does is it brings the scripture into life in terms of integrating it into the lives of the people but it also integrates it into personal ministry as they begin to reach out to each other care for each other bless one another encourage one another lift one another up give to one another all the one another's of scripture come into play as we engage each other around the scripture the fifth of these core pillars is our platform the church i mean jesus invented the church he didn't invent a whole lot of the stuff that we come up with but he called a group of people out to be in relationship with each other you know as i look at a model for the church i look at acts chapter 2 41 to 47 and i see that people are gathered together around the scriptures around the apostles teaching around fellowship interesting that that's the number two thing in the list fellowship that they then were praying together, eating together, generously giving to each other. There were miracles happening. All of these are churchy things. And sometimes we try to not be churchy. We try to be relevant to society. And we become, in the end of the day, completely irrelevant. And I just want to embrace the whole idea of church and what it means to be a churchman. Somebody that, that loves the Church of Jesus Christ and, and makes the thing go forward and not that it has to be a big thing that, you know, I'm talking to a lot of pastors that are pastoring in very small places, rural places, and, you know, intentionally bivocational, getting the job done. And on the other hand, I have some friends that pastor monstrous churches, but it's the church that Jesus chose to do the thing. And we got to unite ourselves around this commitment to this thing that's called the church, the drawn out ones, drawn out for a purpose. And then... There comes our call. That's the sixth of these core priorities for the church, core pillars for the church. Our call is mobilizing everyday missionaries into every corner of society. You know, it's not just enough to live a holy life. It's not just enough to love your neighbor as yourself. You've got to put some wheels under that sucker. And the way that we want to do this is to see everybody in our church as the masterpiece that God has made them into, kind of an Ephesians 2, 10, and 11 deal that we're not saved by good works, but we're saved unto good works that we should walk in them and that we don't restrict that to the church building. You know, so much of what we do in ministry is trying to maintain status quo, trying to keep things going. From a pastor's point of view, sometimes it's self-preservation. I need these people to do this so that I look good or I need them to do this so that there's enough money in the offering so that we can make budget or I can get paid or whatever it is. But the real goal of the church is to turn these people into the the masterpiece that God made, the, the poema that God created, that they would take what they have and who they are and the gospel itself into the world where they live. That the crazy, goofy ideas that sometimes people get and come to me and share, you know, I feel like God wants me to do this, God wants me to do that. And, you know, the pragmatic Ralph Moore says no, screams no. But I've learned to say yes to people. And sometimes the craziest ideas have turned out to be the best ideas. And my job is equipping these people to find out who they are in Christ and then equipping them to do the works of ministry that not only build up the body in, internally in terms of strengthening it and maturing it, but build up the body of Christ in the world in that the kingdom of God grows because they're doing what they can do and, and what only they can do. Then there comes multiplication. This is number seven of these core pillars. And multiplication, to me, just stands to reason. You know, as a very young man, I was angered in a 
college that I was going to. I went to a Bible college, and one day a professor said something that was just particularly off the wall. Dumb. It, it didn't fit the Bible. In fact, there were scriptures that would speak directly against what he was saying. And, you know, I was 20 years old, 19 years old, I think, and kind of a punk. And I just decided these guys don't know what they're talking about. And, and I'm going to start reading the book of Acts because that guy that was the professor was a failed pastor. And so I figured he doesn't really know what he's up to. And so I'm going to go out and figure out how to build a big church. And, and, you know, Acts chapter 2, there's a big church. And so I get into reading the book of Acts. And my little 19-year-old punk deal was I'm going to read it every single day, the whole book, at least five times a week. And I did for my whole second year of, of college. What happened was that I moved beyond the first five chapters of Acts, actually the first eight chapters of Acts, I saw the church at Antioch in action. As these people began to send intentional missionaries, you know, there had been unintentional missionaries who were driven out of Jerusalem because of Saul of Tarsus, and they're the ones that started the church in Antioch. But the church in Antioch got serious about it, and as they did, they sent missionaries out, and, and then what they did was they planted what we would today call microchurches. They had to be small. The leaders had to be intentionally bivocational. There really weren't any options. And they were trained by somebody who made a disciple who had the ability to make another disciple. And so I begin to see this whole thing of church multiplication through disciple multiplication as normative for the church. And once I was there, it, I mean, it's just all in the bag. It's pretty easy. You just put your head down and keep doing it and make disciples, multiply churches, and just go on from there. Well, that wraps up our time together for today. Join us on the next time for part two of this series. We're going to be talking a little bit more about characteristics of a multiplying church. As we get into this, it's the negotiable things that we want to talk about. There's 10 of them. We want to talk about what do you use as a measure of success? How do you liberate your finances? I mean, how do you get free from the money monster? What is minimal ecclesiology? What, not what can you get by with, but what works? What does it take to make the church go forward without a whole lot of extra stuff that slows us down? We're going to talk about level five leadership in an apostolic atmosphere. What do you do if you just aren't an apostolic person, but you'd like to do apostolic things? We want to look at what we're calling kingdom-centric, geocentric ministry. How do we get off of this location, our people, our church, our building, our stuff, and under the kingdom of God spread throughout the world and really take a geocentric approach to all of that. How do we launch every person in our church as a potential missionary? What about ascending impulse? What does that have to do with anything? What does it have to do with me as a leader who would really like to hang on to everything and build a little kingdom? These are the negotiables that we're going to have to talk about. You know, in the church that I pastored, we always said, everybody plays. Well, does everybody play in your circumstance? We'll talk about a bias to yes and just how important that is to a ministry that's going to expand into new territory and to new mission fields. And then lastly, we want to talk about the importance of and then the limitations of a relationship with a network or a tribe or another group of people. So I hope I catch you next time. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at Ralph Moore dot net.